0: Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter number one. John, chapter number one. I can think of a dozen subjects that are of great importance that I could speak about this morning, but I'm going to speak about the one that uh, is of the greatest importance since we're celebrating our 49th anniversary as a church, it's tempting to take this time to review our, our history and to think about the dear loved ones that have, that have gone before. I, I hesitate to start mentioning names, but you can hear a certain song and you think, well, that was Brother Gilbert Wood's favorite song. Uh, You can see something else and it will remind you of Dennis Maxey or Linda Pardue or numerous other folks that helped make this church what it is today. They made their contribution and they uh, went on home to heaven and they're not with us. But we could spend a lot of time talking about that. I could spend a lot of time just talking about the present And what God is doing with the faithful members, the faithful workers, those that are so dedicated to the Lord through His church here. And uh, we would not be wasting a second of our time if I just mentioned their names and talked about the contribution that they make to the church. I could talk about the church by way of the future. That is what we envision as to what God wants to do and what we would like to accomplish. But I'm not going to speak about any of those things this morning. I'm going to preach about the most important subject in all of the world. And we find that here in John chapter number 1. I wish I had time to read the entire chapter, but I want you to notice in verse number 1, He says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John." But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, what will you do with Jesus? Notice verse number 11, our text this morning, He came unto His own and His own received Him not. Over and over again we see courtroom dramas where it's difficult to get to the truth because there there are no witnesses it's just uh, it's just a matter of he said she said situation but thankfully that's not the case when we come to Christ and make no mistake about it he is on trial in the heart of every person And each one of us must decide whether we will receive Him or whether we will reject Him. If you study the Gospel of John, you'll find that there are at least seven witnesses presented to us. And here in these first nine verses, we find two of those witnesses. We see John the Baptist and also Jesus Himself. But notice when we come to verse 11, it says that some rejected Him. And verse 12 says some received Him. But the question is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Our text begins and ends with, astonishing statements it's made up of two declarations either of which we can speak for ours one his rejection and one the revelation that he made the revelation in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us think about that for a little while That God revealed Himself in the form of flesh. And yet there are those that rejected Him. Notice Notice how it commences. Again, verse 11. He came unto His own. Now I want you to examine each part of that statement. He. Now the first four verses tells us who He is. The one we're talking about is Described as Emmanuel, that is God with us. He is God in the flesh. He's the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the Lamb of God. He is the Savior. Amen? He's the Redeemer, the prophet, the priest, the King, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the One who created and controls all things, the beginning and the end and the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, and we go on and on looking at how God described Himself. He, notice, He came. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a messenger. He Himself took the form of flesh and stepped down from the portals of glory down to this old sin-cursed earth. He, notice, came. The God who is eternally aware of all things saw our plight. He heard our groans. He knew our sorrow. He came to deliver us from our sin. Just as He had promised to do. Down through the centuries, time and time again, the old prophets took up the lamp of prophecy and and prophesied about the coming Messiah. And now we read, He came. After all of those years, He came. Notice, He came unto His own. That is, He came unto Israel, His own people, His possession, if you will. He came unto His own. But make no mistake about it. He came for all of us. He came to Israel. He came through Israel by way of His birth. But the Bible says He tasted death for every man. Aren't you glad He came? He came for you. He came for me. So he commences by telling us that he, God himself, came. But then notice the conclusion of that. He came unto his own, notice, and his own received him not. Dr. W.A. Criswell calls that the world's greatest blunder. And certainly it is. To think about The fact that He, the one I just mentioned, that He came into this world for us, and yet His own received Him not. This is as sad as the first part is glorious. He came. That's glorious. That's joyful. But now it's like we've gone from the highest mountain down to the lowest valley. And we wonder to ourselves, how can it be that anyone would reject Him? That has to be the most shameful thing that any person could do. And especially when you think about Israel how that Israel, His people, could reject Him. They had heard the prophets proclaim the promises all down through the centuries. All of the way back to Adam, those prophecies had been declared. And they had been blessed above all of the nations upon the earth. And yet, they rejected Him. They rejected Him in spite of the perfected prophecies that had been fulfilled. And every Christmas, we think about all of those promises that God had given and how they were fulfilled at His coming. In spite of all of that evidence, they rejected Him. In spite of His personal purity, He was tempted at all points such as we are and yet without sin. In spite of His purity, they rejected Him. In spite of His tremendous teaching, remember they said, never a man spake like this man. And yet they rejected Him. In spite of His mighty mission, that they had witnessed over and over again. They rejected Him in spite of His lovely life and His supreme sacrifice. Even there on the cross in the very end, they rejected Him. It's like nothing could persuade them to accept Him. And you have to wonder, what more could God do? If there's anything in the history of this world that proves the depravity of man, this is it. There has never been anything on record that was a greater injustice than that of crucifying the perfect Son of God. No greater sin could ever be committed than that. We think of all of the various sins that are so offensive to our senses. The sins that God Himself is said to hate, and yet the one condemning sin for which there is no forgiveness is the rejection of Jesus Christ. And whenever we study the purpose of His coming, it gives us a lot of insight as to man's nature and helps us understand how we can be so foolish. We wonder how could we possibly reject him but we look at why he came and he tells us in no uncertain terms back in the verses 4 through 9 tells us he came to project light that he he's the light of this world and we needed light because of the fact that man is depraved and in darkness you see we could never figure it out on our own we'd never know the way We'd never be able to direct our steps in a way that's pleasing to God. And He came to bring light. But He came in verse 4 to provide life. Because man is spiritually dead. We wonder how people can reject Christ. It's because they're dead. Spiritually dead. It is against their nature to even try to reason something out. And when God says, Come now, let us reason together the natural man is unable to reason on his own. And that's why the Bible tells us that we love Him only because He first loved us and that no man could come to the Father except the Father draw Him. Maybe you're wondering how does He do that? He does that as Jesus said, whenever you see Me high and lifted up, I'll draw all men unto Me. Amen. Amen. He came to project light, provide life, proclaim liberty. Because man is in bondage. Somebody says, well, I'm going to live the way I please. It's nobody's business. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you're just kidding yourself. You think think you're running your life and you don't even realize that as an unsaved person, you are in bondage to sin and to Satan. You, you don't. You don't do what the reasonable thing is. You don't do what the right thing is. You're really not doing what you, if you were in your right mind, would normally do. That's why the Bible says of the unsaved, they're taken captive of the devil at his will. But then Jesus came not only to do those things, but also to prove love. And I say that, you know, we we know that He loves us because. He gave His own life. Amen? There's never any doubt about that. But what we don't realize is that the vast majority of the world does not think of God in those terms. Their view of God is distorted. They think that God is some cruel monster whose wrath must be appeased. And that's why that's why mothers take their children and throw them in the Ganges River to the waiting crocodiles. That's why that's why those that, that believe in such a God as that will literally burn their little children as an offering up to this God that they do not understand. You see, those of us here in America, and we hear about God being a God of love, but Most people in the world today don't understand a God like that at all. We think in terms of what we've got to do for God, but the Bible teaches it's not about what we do for God. It's all about what He has done for us. He was made flesh and He dwelt among us. Amen? Amen? And lived a life of perfection that He might give His life as a sacrifice for our sins. How horrible, how horrible that something that starts out so wonderful that he came would conclude with him being rejected. But notice verse 12, and we see the contrast. But, thank God for that. But, as many as received him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on His name. Now you see, this brings us to the crucial point. You know, some there's some that receive Him, some that receive Him not. And the question and the point of debate is, how do we receive Him? Now, in your mind, that might seem like a very simple matter, but it's, It's not. It is the decisive issue between all of the different denominations and the cults. As many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. But how do we receive him? I said at the very beginning, instead of preaching about all of those other things that I would enjoy preaching about, I want to speak to you about the most important thing. And the most important thing is Christ and the sacrifice of Christ and your relationship to Him. Because everything else, everything else doesn't matter if you don't get this right. How do you receive Him? There are many that would agree that man is sinful and in need of salvation. Nearly all of those here in America among those that we identify as Christians would agree that we are sinful. They don't deny that. They confess that we need a Savior. Some of them even refer to Christ as their Savior, but they're confused as to how a person is saved. In this verse, notice, This verse ought to clear up all of that confusion. To them gave He the power to become the sons of God. Who? Those that believe on His name. It couldn't be any more simple than that, could it? That's the easy part. The hard part is getting people to actually trust Christ for salvation. There's a big difference between knowing about Christ and actually knowing Christ. You can know all of the facts, you can believe that he was born of a virgin that lived a virtuous life, died a vicarious death, rose victoriously over the grave. You can believe all of those facts and yet not be saved. The Bible says the devil believes, he knows all of that, and he trembles. There are a lot of folks that ought to be trembling today because even though they have all of the facts They haven't done what the Bible commands, which is to believe, that is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we wonder why. Why would they reject Him? Why would they reject the one thing that is so simple, so easy, that anybody can do it? There's no one here that couldn't believe, you know, if you really wanted to believe. You know, if the Lord had said you've got to climb a high mountain, some of us couldn't do that. He'd have said you've got to swim the widest sea. We couldn't do that. But He said all you've got to do is believe. Didn't say anything about church membership, baptism, being a good neighbor, anything else. He'd have said believe. And we wonder, why is it That folks refuse to believe. That is to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul explained that when he said the God of this world, that is Satan, the God of this world had blinded their minds to the Gospel. They're blind. The natural man. There's so many times as we're trying to deal with someone about their salvation and we'll explain it to them as clearly as we possibly can. We'll read the Scriptures to them. And we'll wonder to ourselves, how in the world can they not understand this? And we, as Christians, sometimes forget what it was like not being a Christian, don't we? I said the other day that up until the time whenever I first attended church at 24 years old, up until then there was only one person in my life, one person that ever asked me if I was a Christian, just one Why didn't I listen? Because I certainly knew there were things wrong in my life, but why didn't I listen? I didn't listen because the God of this world had blinded my mind and I had no concern and no interest in spiritual things. But that's just part of the problem. The other part of the problem is the hardness of man's heart. You see, there are some folks... I want you to listen carefully. There are some folks that would be better off if they never heard the Gospel of Christ. Now that, that doesn't mean that God's going to you know feel sorry for them and take them to heaven. Because every person must be saved the same way. God doesn't have a, you know, a separate plan for those that have never heard. If they don't hear, it's our fault, not God's fault. Because he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But whenever a person has heard the gospel, he becomes more responsible than the person who has not heard the gospel. There are different degrees of punishment in hell. And those that have heard the gospel over and over and over again, and still to this day, they've never received Christ as their Savior. Hell will be hotter for them than the man over there in the jungle somewhere that never heard the gospel. Or those over there in China walking the busy streets of Tokyo that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hardness of man's heart. Jeremiah described it as being like a rock. And he described the Word of God as being like a hammer. And the hammer breaks the rock, he said, into pieces. And all we as preachers can do is just keep what? Hammering away. That's that's all we can do. Because we can't make anybody believe. We can't force them into receiving Christ as their Savior. So we keep hammering away. And that hammer is the Word of God that breaks the rock into pieces. But not just any part of the Word of God. The hammer is what? The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul said, it is the power of God unto salvation to all that believe. There's not another message. There's not another way. And every time you reject God's offer of salvation, you harden your heart just a little bit more. And it makes it just that much more difficult for somebody to break through and to get you to see your great need of Christ. Paul said it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. But how do, we, how do we see the goodness of God? Oh, well, we see His goodness in the fact that He gives us life. He gives us health. He causes the sun to shine upon the just and the unjust and the rain to fall upon those that are thankful and those that are not thankful. God is good to all. But how do we really see the goodness of God? It's when we look at the cross. And we think about the fact that it was there that God Himself, wrapped in flesh, gave His life on the cross. That's where we best see the goodness of God. And it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I could speak to you about the happiness of heaven and the horrors of hell and 411 other things, and none of those things would ever bring you to the point of salvation. It's only through the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all I can do is just hammer, 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 hammer week after week. And some of you sitting here right now may be thinking, when's he going to get off of this? I'm not going to get off of it. I'm going to keep hammering. Amen. And how dare we as believers be resentful of the fact that somebody is preaching the Gospel to those that need it. If there's just one unsaved person in this building today, it's worth our time to forget about all of the things that we want to hear and think about what they need to hear. I sit there and I look out on Sunday morning and I'm looking around for different faces and different people and sometimes I feel like just gushing in tears when I don't see the face of somebody that I so desperately wanted to hear the Gospel message and they're not here. And it tears my heart out. They brought Jesus before Pilate. Pilate made his judgments of Jesus. He said, I find no fault in this man. And finally he says to those people, what shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they said, let Him be crucified. But the question is not what they did. We already know that. The question is, what will you do with Jesus? Will you accept him? Will you receive him? Will you reject him? What is it, what is your verdict? I mean all of the evidence is here. What's the verdict? He's on trial in your heart. And you're either going to receive him as Lord or call him a liar. One of the two. As the poet said, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will He do with me? Let me say something that I hope doesn't confuse you. We talk about receiving Christ, but technically salvation is Him receiving you more so than you receiving Him. That doesn't mean whether you receive Him or not you know, is in, unimportant. I don't mean that because when you stop and consider the fact that if God didn't receive us, we could receive Him and it would be of no avail. So who does God receive? God receives those who receive Him. You say, well, I don't understand. Well, let me explain it. If you just look over a couple of pages, you'll see there there were those that followed Jesus from place to place, and they saw His miracles, it says. And it says this, they believed on Him because of the miracles that He did. And boy, you read that one verse and you think, praise the Lord, hallelujah, they're all saved. No, because the very next verse says, and He did not commit Himself unto them. You see, He was nothing more to them than a form of entertainment. And they went from place to place. And yeah, they believed on Him in the sense that He is a miracle worker. We've never heard anybody speak like this man. We've never seen anybody do all of these mighty miracles like this man. They believed Him in that sense. But to receive Christ, you have to believe who the Bible declares that He is. You can't believe whatever you want to believe about Him. You have to believe that He is who the Bible says He is. That He did what He said that He would do. And that He'll keep the promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I mean, you've got to believe that. That's the way that salvation is received and there is no other way. Now let me ask you a few questions and I'll be through. Why would you refuse Christ? -Why would you choose to live another second without him? And it's your choice by the way. But why would you receive just choose to go another day? Are you going to deny all of the evidence that the Bible gives? Over and over again, at least seven times, John presents different witnesses. They're called to the witness stand of your heart, bearing witness that Christ is the Savior. Are you going to deny all of that? Are you going to follow the crowd instead of trusting God? Are you going to run the risk of thinking that you might live long enough to get another chance? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You don't, have, you don't have a promise anywhere in all of God's Word that you can get saved tomorrow. You don't have any promise that you can get saved this afternoon. It's always now is the time. Right now, if you realize your need of salvation and you're willing to place your trust in Christ, you can be saved right now, you might not live to make it till lunchtime. Do you really think you're better off without Christ? I could just ask all of the Christians to stand to their feet and one by one for them to express to you their testimony. I could ask them to describe to you how their life here on earth is better because of Christ. I mean, that's to say nothing about heaven. You see, if there were no heaven or no hell, the best life you could possibly live would be the Christian life. The only way you'll ever find perfect peace and joy unspeakable and full of glory, the only way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, what? will you do with this man called Jesus? And you're going to do one or the other. You will either receive Him or reject Him. As the poem said, neutral you cannot be. Jesus said, He that is not for me is against me. It's heaven or it's hell. It's saved or it's lost. And I can't possibly know your spiritual condition here this morning, but I suspect you know, and Jesus certainly knows, and to think that He is willing to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed and every sin you might possibly commit in the future to wipe the slate clean and to accept you as one of His children, it's, it's grace. I don't know how else to say it. Grace that gives us what we need instead of what we deserve. A grace that passes the possibility of man ever being able to comprehend it. It's amazing grace, as John Newton said. And he's poured that grace out for you that you can become a child of God. Would you trust Him right here, right now, this morning? I said last week, and I'm going to repeat it, I'm not asking you, I don't want you to walk down this aisle to be saved. I don't want you to say a prayer to be saved because walking down the aisle and saying a prayer doesn't save anybody. But you can walk down the aisle and you can pray and you can be saved. That can be a part of it. But it's never the reason for salvation. You can be saved right there wherever you are by placing your trust in Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to ask you, if you would, to walk down this aisle and say, Preacher, I have received Christ as my Savior right here this morning, and I want the world to know it. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, nobody talking or looking around. And if you're here this morning and God has spoken to your heart about your need of salvation, and it might be that it's gone on now for maybe years that you've been putting this matter off. You've you've known these things for all of this time. But you just keep putting it off. You keep thinking, well, I'll wait until another day I want to sow all of my wild oats first. I want to to live life to the fullest first. You don't even know what life to the fullest is till you know Jesus. Would you right here, right now, just say to the Lord, Lord, right here and now, I'm trusting Your Son to save me from my sins. Save me for Jesus' sake. And then come and tell us about it. Or if you're here and maybe you've got some questions, something you're confused about, would you come? Let us take God's Word and, and show you what He says. Because God has the answer for those questions. Father, we pray now that You'll bless us, not because we deserve anything, but we ask it in Jesus' name. And we know there's power in that name. And Lord, for every unsaved person here this morning, May the Spirit of God work upon their heart and convict them of their sins and draw them to the cross. May they receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior today. For we beg it in His dear name. Amen. Now as we sing together, would you come?